Today is a little bit of historical background to help us understand the story. Uh, next week when we get to looking at the story of ourselves, we'll find out who the storyteller is, what were the intents, what was the motivation of the storyteller, and we'll see that the story is, the story of Jonah and the big fish, is a story, it's a morality tale told to a group of people who had lost their way. A deep bedrock virtue of our Judeo-Christian tradition is to push back against a very human tendency. And that tendency, which is kind of wired into the way that our brains function and work, is the tendency under threat to circle the wagons. It is the human inclination when we feel at danger to band together and to strengthen our cohesion one to another. Now that makes sense. Odds are, if a group is cohesive during times of threat, they'll do a better job surviving. But one of the go-to techniques that we use to build our cohesion is to look for some kind of an outside force to scapegoat. Because when there is an us and a them, our us becomes more cohesive. When we were, well, actually, I was getting kicked out of our denomination because of the book that I wrote, and then we were going to lose our building, it had a very cohesion-making uh, force inside of our own community. We were together when we realized there was a danger ahead of us. That is an effective way for people to band together during times of threat or danger. And so it is a natural part of our human inclination to look for an outside force to put our energies there will keep us together and it will keep us also from having to look at our own blind spots, which is kind of counterproductive in moments of danger. In moments of danger, this is not the time for navel-gazing. <laughs> at the moments of danger, this is the time to rally the troops, gather together, and push against the danger. And that is a natural human inclination. And our tradition has long taught us to push against it. <laughs> It is a natural way to be human, and our tradition has strongly discouraged us from being that way. We have been taught in our tradition not to use the outsider as a tool to galvanize us. We have been told not to use the stranger or the foreigner to help us feel more cohesive during times of threat. Our tradition has always insisted just the opposite that we embrace the outsider. That has been a cornerstone virtue for us from the beginning. Now, that started at the beginning of our tradition because our tradition began in the Middle East. And so in no small part is this just due to simple geography. Because in the Middle East, it's a dry and arid place, and sources of water are few and far between, and people tended to band around sources of water. So if we are banded around a source of water, and there is an outsider, and there is a foreigner, and we are in a us-versus-them posture, that puts the outsider at the worst kind of vulnerability. Because if the outsider doesn't have access to water, that outsider doesn't have access to life. And so we have always insisted of ourselves that we invite the outsider in. The refrain that we return to when we talk about this core principle is the refrain of remembering. Remember when we were wandering in the wilderness. Remember when we 
were strangers in a strange land. Remember when we were the outsiders, when we were the foreigner. And so we are taught, take care of the foreigner, provide for the orphan and for the widow, empower those who are powerless, enfranchise those who are disenfranchised. That's what it means to be children of Israel. It's embedded in our origin story, the origin story of all the Abrahamic religions, the story that is the beginning story for all Jewish people and all Christian people and all Muslim people. It's an origin story you can read in Genesis 12. We've got a banner up there, the blue one, that speaks of this. Everyone who claims Abraham as an ancestor knows the story in which God says to Abraham, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your children. And I'm going to bless your children's children. But it's going to be for a reason. I'm going to bless you so that you can share that blessing with all of the people of all of the earth. The outsider, the foreigner, the stranger, the outcast, the vulnerable, the defenseless, the exploited. and the used. Our story of origins assigns them to us and reminds us that we have often been them. We are the ones who give care if we follow the mandate in our tradition. Now through the years, one of the terms that we've used, one of the words that we've used to talk about this responsibility, to talk about this assignment, is the word hospitality. Now that word has a meaning in English that doesn't quite capture the meaning that has been part of our tradition's meaning because it has a specialized meaning in our tradition. It's kind of a code word. It means more than coffee or finger sandwiches or what we would think of as hospitality. It's code word for the invite in those on the outside assignment. That is how we have used the term hospitality. So for us, hospitality is a core assignment take care of the outsider. So as we see all the time in our lessons, it is our way to lose our way. It is our way to lose sight of even big important assignments like this one that was there at the origins of our tradition. But we also see in our lessons, when we lose our way, it is also our way to find it again. The story of Jonah is about one of those times in which we were finding our way again. So, some history to help us understand the story when we do it next week. In the 6th century before the Common Era, 600 years before Jesus, the people of Israel were having a time of it. As we've seen many times when we look at the Jewish scriptures, it's very difficult to interpret what's going on if you don't understand a little bit of geography about the Middle East 
And in particular, you have to understand how river valleys work with civilizations and how they affect history. Big civilizations need a lot of water. Big rivers have got a lot of water. Little rivers have got a little bit of water, and consequently, around little rivers, you get little civilizations. And around big rivers, you get big civilizations. Makes sense. To the north of Israel, there are big rivers, two of them. To the south of Israel, there's a really big river. So consequently, there have been big civilizations to the north and big civilization to the south of Israel. And Israel has a very tiny river. So it has always been a small civilization. Furthermore, where they're located is right at the crossroads of all those big civilizations. Whenever the big guys decide that they're going to mobilize and go somewhere to conquer somebody, they stop by Israel on the way. That's why Israel has spent so much of their history oppressed by and under the control of one or another of these big civilizations. Bummer neighborhood. <laughs> anyway, about 600 years before Jesus, Babylon was making all kinds of expansionist noises. So if you've ever seen the Star Trek episodes about the Borg, you know the Borg are coming a long time before the Borg get there. <laughs> and they are just assimilating everything as they come, and you know they're on their way. And that's what was happening in Israel at that time. They could see Babylon coming. Eventually they would overrun Israel. Eventually they would cart off all the high potential young people. And what they would do is they would take them off to Babylon to educate them in the ways of the empire. The idea was to enculturate them, give them the value set that go, went with the Babylonian Empire, and then send them back to govern Israel as a vassal state. In other words, they would be Jewish people, but they would be enculturated with Babylonian values. And that way, the Babylonians could expand their empire without extra use of personnel and people. It was a good idea if you believed in the superiority of your culture as they did. But if you were Jewish, it did not seem to you a good idea at all because you only saw the existential threat part. You only saw the overrun and dominated part. For you, these were painful times. If you were Jewish when Babylon was starting this expansionist regime, these were dangerous times. These were desperate times. And painful times, desperate times, dangerous times, these are often when we lose our way. Pain and desperation do that to us. We tend to lose our way when we hurt. We tend to lose our way when we feel hopeless. Now again, I want to go back to this origin story about Abraham and to remember that Judaism and Christianity and Islam all trace their origins back to that story in which Abraham hears the voice of God and says, I have chosen you, Abraham, and I have chosen your children, and I have chosen your children's children for a special role on the earth. I'm going to bless you with deep insights into the divine. I'm going to show you deep glimpses of life and light and truth and beauty, deep insights into the life of the Spirit, into the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to do it for a reason. And the reason is that I want you to be carriers of those blessings to the entire earth. I want you to be gift givers to the whole world. I'm going to bless you with insight. I'm going to bless you with understanding. 
I'm going to bless you with experience, and then I want you to give that insight, and I want you to give that understanding, and I want you to give that experience to every people, to every nation. And so this many years later, that is still our assignment, to be carriers of divine blessing to all of the earth. But as happens so many times in history, 600 years before Jesus, we forgot the main point and we lost our way. So we kept a little bit of that Abraham story. We kept the part that said we were special people. But we lost sight of the part that was bless all the people of all the nations of all the earth. Things devolved so badly that we were not just ignoring the bless the whole earth part, we were actively resisting it. We were doing the exact opposite. We had become so ingrown that we were focusing on our blessing and how to keep it. Our blessing and how to hold on to it for ourselves. And so we began to resist the whole earth part. In those very frightening decades before Babylon took our kids away, we developed a strong guardedness against other nations. And we organized ourselves to reject other nations and to distance ourselves. And we created a religious framework to justify our resistance. We made keeping ourselves separate from the other people a virtue. We actually prohibited one another to have contact with the outsider. That's what happens to big truths. They tend to devolve over time, especially in times of pain, especially in times of pressure. It happened then. We were sick and tired of those armies tromping their way through our land. We were sick and tired of the rumors of who was coming next. We were sick and tired of the anxiety and the fear and the sending off of tribute. We were sick and tired of it happening again and again and again. And in our weariness, we needed a coping strategy. And it wasn't hard to find. We just reached out and grabbed the old standby, hating outsiders. Hating outsiders always makes us feel better about ourselves. Circling the wagons is always an instinctive response when we feel threatened. And so we looked for and we found a story to tell ourselves about ourselves. We looked for and we found a story to tell ourselves about the outsider. And it was a twisted story. It was a twisted story that turned Abraham's mandate completely on its head. We are blessed, period. All the other nations be damned. All the other people, they are different. They are inferior. They are unchosen. They are not like us. They are less than us. They are beneath us. God has actually given us permission, given us the assignment, in fact, to divide ourselves from them. So when you read the Bible and you find those keep yourself separate from the other people texts, many of them were written about this time written at a time when we had lost our way. Instead of honoring Abraham's assignment, we were insisting that God wanted us to divide between us and them in our minds and in our texts and in our actions. And doing so, we thought we were honoring God. When in fact, what we were doing was an age-old strategy, scapegoating the outsider to help us navigate times of fear. 
Well, that was the story that we were telling ourselves, and it was pretty deeply entrenched in our authority systems. It was pretty deeply entrenched in our religious systems. It was pretty deeply entrenched in our governing systems. It was how we were handling a time of great threat. Now, that's easy to stand here and say, oh, they should not have done that. But if we were there, just imagine what it would have been like. We had a story that we told ourselves that came straight from Abraham that God had chosen us for a very special purpose. How difficult is it to explain that if that's the case, that we have experienced defeat after defeat after defeat? How could those not chosen by God nations actually be defeating us so repeatedly again and again and again? What story do we tell ourselves to make any sense out of this? Why would God be allowing God's chosen people to be routed by, to be overrun by those unclean outsiders? How could it happen again and again? What does it mean? Does it mean we're not chosen? Does it mean we were chosen once, but now we're not? Or does it mean that we never really were? Does it mean that our status as God's favorite people has been revoked? Does it mean maybe that our God is in fact powerless and the gods of those other nations is actually stronger than our God. How do we explain this unthinkable thing that comes upon us again and again and again? How do we understand it? We need a story to make sense of this experience because it just doesn't make sense. And so doing what people do, looking for a story to make meaning, they found one. Here's what's happening, they said. God's punishing us for our sins. Here's what's happening. We have disobeyed God's commandments, and now God is punishing us. And like any good parent, He's only punishing us in order to get us back on the righteous path. That's what it is. Punishment. God wants us to turn around. We forgot. We had a deal with God. God would be our God, and we would obey God's commandments. And we didn't keep up our end of the deal. That's our problem. We're being punished. Once we straighten out and fly right... God will restore us to our rightful place, sure enough. And then we'll be God's chosen people once again. So, about this time, just before Babylon totally overran them, that was the meaning-making story that was going on in Jewish society. It was a story, actually, that gave some hope. Held out the promise that if we get back on track, then God will do right by us. It was a story that could restore their national pride or their civic pride. We are still God's chosen people. We just have to straighten up. Now, if you've been part of organized religion, you may not have spotted this as a pattern, but as I explain it, you will see this is kind of a pattern. We have some kind of experience that's very positive within a religious experience, within a religious tradition, uh, meaningful, spiritual, and then we tell ourselves a story in the aftermath of that very positive experience that God has blessed us, that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God is available to us. Deep things happen in the spiritual tradition. Uh, souls are healed. That's happened for me. I know it's happened for you. Our prayers are answered. We experience the transforming power of community. 
We become part of something bigger than ourselves and we get to make a contribution and we find that deeply fulfilling. And we get to be the recipients of others' contributions and we find that deeply fulfilling. And we, find, and we have these spiritual experiences that make us feel alive, that they are so real and they are meaningful. And that happens. And we tell ourselves a story. God is blessing us. And then things change. Circumstances are upended. The, the times when we felt on top seem distant and far away. Some interior framework changes or some external circumstances change, but now instead of feeling on top, we feel like we're on the bottom. Instead of being in the flow, we feel like we're stagnant. Instead of feeling alive, we feel dead. Instead of feeling accepted, we feel rejected. Instead of having faith, we're overrun by doubt. And when that happens, it is very common for us to do what people do. We tell ourselves a story, and it is often a story about our sin and our failure. I did something wrong, and that's why things have gone south. God has removed God's blanket of grace or God's blanket of protection or blessing or presence, and now I am suffering as a result of my sin. As a minister, I, come, I, I see this instinct in play all the time. Troubles come into our lives and our go-to response is to fixate on our badness, on our failure. I made a wrong turn. I somehow screwed things up. And it's an easy go-to explanation for our troubles because every one of us at any moment in our lives can always find some shortcoming. Every one of us at any moment in our lives can always find some point of failure, some sin, something that we've done. So it's an easy response to formulate. It's an easy narrative to stitch together. Now, if we were to stand back and reflect a bit, it would create some interior dissonance because we would have to ask the question, what about the times when things were going well? Because at the time things were going well, we were also always able to find some shortcoming. We would always be able to find some failure. So if we were honest with ourselves, we were failing at the times when things were good, and we didn't tell that story. But now when things go badly, we tell that story. But that's where our minds tend to go. And we are no different from the people of Israel 600 years before Jesus. Our minds go when things go badly to our failure, our sin, and this is divine punishment. And so it's not uncommon for us to tell ourselves a story about straightening out and flying right. It's not uncommon for us to tell ourselves some story about fixing this thing that I've done that's wrong and then I will get back on God's good side and then things will go well again. It's not uncommon for us to intuit these kind of instinctive reactions when things go badly for us. And that would be great if all we had to do was just straighten out and fly right and it would work. <laughs> the problem is it doesn't work. Many of us have been around long enough to realize that there's more going on than that. That doesn't always, that pattern doesn't always play out. And what the story of Jonah is going to help us see next week is that straighten up and fly right is something of a flawed narrative. Now, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean you shouldn't try and straighten up and fly right. Oh, goodness sakes, please do. <laughs> it's always a good idea to behave better. It's always a good idea to think about virtue instead of vice. Keep at it, keep trying. But using that as a story about how to handle God, 
how to get God to be back on your side, that's a story that has a really toxic downside. So, there the people of Israel were, telling themselves this instinctive story that people like you and I would tell, that people throughout history have told. If we just straighten out, then God will come to our aid. Let's get back on track. Let's figure out what sin it is we did, and then we fix it. And this is where the story takes a toxic turn. This is the morality that we will see next week in this morality tale. Because that idea that we can get God to come and fix our problems if we get figure out how to handle Him. That is not a true truth. We can't handle God. God doesn't have favorites. We can't get God on our side against the other. It's not a true enough truth. It's not unlike what we talked about in the last lesson, that once we figure out God and then we try to get God on our side by doing what it is that we figured out, that's when things go really sideways. And it did. It went sideways for them. Something like this. <clears throat> Guys, I think I figured out our problem. I think I figured out what, uh, what's, what we, how we lost our way. I figured it out. Here it is. We, uh, you remember all those scriptures that we have about being pure? Remember all those scriptures that we have about being set apart? You know what? This problem isn't our problem. It's not really our fault. It's the foreigners. It's their fault. That's what it is. We let all these strangers come on in. That's our sin. We let them in the camp. That's our problem. We got too cozy with those foreigners and all their sinful ways. We even let our boys marry non-Jewish women. That's our problem. It's those outsiders with all of their differentness. It's those outsiders with all their different values. They even worship God differently than we do. That was our sin them. Now, <clears throat> hopefully you can see how this is going to go badly. So, keeping the outsider out, that's about to happen in a really big way. As soon as they got to work solving what they perceived to be the problem so that they could get God back on their side, they formulated a problem that wasn't really the problem. So as soon as they went to work on a truth that wasn't true, they really began to lose their way. They found a scapegoat. It was the outsider. They found a scapegoat. It was the foreigner, the different one. And they fell into the oldest trap in the book, building cohesion together by focusing on an outside force. It's somebody else that's causing our pain. Now, we can't be too hard on them. We do the same thing. It's my wife's fault this marriage is in trouble. That's who the problem is. It's my boss's fault that I'm so miserable here at work. It's the immigrants. It's the gay people. It's anybody I can think of who is not me, who is not us. That's why things are going so badly. It's somebody else's fault. We lost our way. <clears throat> we do that. The very people that God had commanded to be carriers of gifts to the whole world, to all the people of all the nations of all the earth, they became intent not only on withholding blessing, but also by chasing out the foreigner. Once they told themselves that the foreigners were the problem, that ancient dictate about hospitality, out the window. 
the ancient commandment to invite the outsider in, the ancient commandment to care for the stranger out the window. They couldn't be what God wants. They are foreigners. So we were mistaken when we thought those thoughts. What God really wants is for us to remain pure. What God really wants is for us to keep the foreigners foreign. What God really wants is for us to keep the stranger strange. What God really wants us to do is reestablish those traditions that we were following back when things were good, back in the good old days before they corrupted us. All those ancient texts that said different, pay them no attention. And by the way, here are some new texts, listen to them. It became one of the darker times in our history. It was a time to, that gave rise to vigilante groups going around creating all kinds of terror in the pursuit of racial purity. These vigilante squads were visiting villages and towns checking bloodlines for purity. The book of Deuteronomy, you can read about it in chapters 23 and 24, leave us some of the texts that were written while we were surging in this impulse to keep racial purity. What they suggested was that if someone was to be able to be here among us, to be one of us, we would have to go back 10 generations to make sure that they were racially pure. God's blessing was for Jews only. God's people meant Jews only. Abraham's mandate, be damned. So at another time in our history when we lost our way, Jesus spoke and said, when the light inside of you is darkness... How great is the darkness? In other words, when the truth that you hold on to, thinking that it's God's truth, when that truth is not true, you're in trouble because you will hold on to that truth with a death grip, believing that you were following the ways of God, believing that you were following the Word of God, and you will not be. When the light inside of you is darkness, how great is the darkness? When your God is a punitive God against foreigners and outsiders, your truth is not true. When your sin turns God from you because you have sinned, your truth is not true. When you have figured out what God wants and are getting God on your side, your truth is not true. It's how we lose our way. Now, I hope you can be very sympathetic toward those people because you understand those impulses and those instincts, they are inside of us. They are the way that we're wired, which is why we have a spiritual journey. That's why Jesus said, you want to go to perdition? No problem. There's a super highway right there, and it's downhill. All you have to do is roll. But you want to go toward life and light? It's an uphill journey. The path is narrow. It's a challenging, difficult path. It's why we walk the spiritual journey. Because everything they did is instinctive. Everything they did is natural. And yet our tradition says, don't do it. Don't go that way. There's a higher path. There's a higher life. Live that. Now next week, we'll see how they found their way again. It's very difficult to understand the story of Jonah if you'd understand this background then you'll understand why it was so traumatic for them to find their way again because it meant that everything they knew to be true was not true. Everything they had fought for, everything that they had believed for wasn't true and they were just upended 
in order to find their way again. It went every, against every instinct in their guts, every instinct in their whole society. But the good news is, it is our way when we lose our way to find our way again. Now, our own society is in a time of pain right now. Our own society is in a time of fear right now. And those same instincts can easily infect us as well. Even if we don't cast it in terms of God's punishment upon us, we still look for some other, some outsider, some source for our pain where we can focus our energies and not have to look within. And as long as that is the fix our energies will betray us. It's very easy to find some outside source. You know what it is, it's those damn Republicans. You know what it is, it's those damn Democrats. You know what it is, it's those damn homophobes or those damn homosexuals or those pro-lifers or those pro-choicers or those immigrants or those bigoted supremacists. And we put all of our energy out there and we demonize the other and all of our energies return very little return on investment. Because as long as it's them, whew, we're off the hook. As long as it's them, we don't have to process what has gone wrong. We don't have to look within at our own character. We don't have to look at, within at how we have lost our way. We don't have to look in when we can look out. It's a common pattern in families. Families that have a broken point within their system will often find some child to act out and that child will oblige and that child will abuse drugs or that child will do whatever so that the family system doesn't have to look within. We can look at Johnny. Johnny's the addict. That's our problem. We tend to do that. It's human. It's wired into us and Jesus said there's another way. There's a higher path. We don't have to focus our energies there. We can look within. As long as the solution to our problem is the outsider, as long as the solution to our problem is the other, the one that seems so strange, odds are our truth is not true. And odds are our energies will not yield the benefit that we hope they will. So that's the historical context, which I believe is key to understanding the story of Jonah. Next week, we'll actually tell the story of Jonah. So Holy Spirit within us, may we be informed by the lives of our forebears so that we learn from their mistakes. And may we see the light and may that light inside of us be revealed. And when it is darkness, may we see it for the darkness it is. And may we live from the indwelling light of God as we follow Jesus. Amen.